0: Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor and it is our privilege to have you with us. If you're a guest, thank you so much for making time out of your Sunday to be with us. I would ask you, especially if you're a guest, to fill out the connection card. There's one attached to the worship folder you were given when you came in. You can do that. There's also one shoved down in the bullet or in the pew in front of you or you can go online to malvernhill.org/connect. However you do it, we just really appreciate it if you would. I have lots of meetings this afternoon, so I'm not going to come see you this afternoon. I just want to drop you a letter in the mail and let you know how much we appreciated having you. So thank you for being a part of that with us. I know Pastor Adam mentioned VBS is coming up. There are Vacation Bible School signs out in all of the entrance areas. So if you'd help us, grab one of those, stick it in your yard, um, stick it in like, your neighbor's yard, or just you know hide and put it in your mama's yard, whatever. Uh, but if you'd help us to do that, that would be really appreciative. Um, I do uh, reiterate what Adam said, there's Next Steps class this afternoon, so if you have visited with us once or 20 times, I'd love to see you. I'll meet you right here in this room at 4 o'clock this afternoon, and we'll break off to a smaller classroom. And then finally, as has already been mentioned, today is our Senior Adult Sunday, and uh, it looks a little different than it it has in the past. We're still trying to figure out this double-service model. And so uh, historically, we've, uh, we've platformed a lot of our senior adults on Senior Adult Sunday. And a lot of times Buster has preached and he said, hey, I'll let you do two services. So uh, we're, we're, uh, we're tagging him in, believe it or not, for Father's Day. So uh, we're really excited about having somebody that has uh, uh, raised his children and seen his grandchildren baptized and following the Lord to come and share a little bit of wisdom about uh, how it is that the Lord's work in his life. But uh, I am so grateful for the senior adults in this church I'm so grateful that uh, you guys do a lot, and it's not just eating. They, uh, they are active in ministry and in serving. It was just mentioned just a little while ago about um, ministry in our nursing homes, and uh, it's not just that. Our senior adults will work themselves to death during Vacation Bible School in just a few weeks because they're serious and they're passionate about seeing this church do great things in this community, and I am so grateful. I always know that uh, when I need help there will always be somebody with just a little bit more gray hair than me that is ready to show up and to really just chip in and I am so grateful for that if you're a senior adult here today we would invite you to lunch afterward by the way senior adult here is 55 and above for a few more years I mean I'm 42 so I don't I don't believe I'm gonna when I start getting that range we will probably just bump it up a year every year until I hit 65 but uh, Uh, We would love to have you uh, to uh, enjoy lunch with us. All right. having said all that, we're in the book of Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we've been in Acts for quite some time. We will be there until the fall, and in the fall of the year, uh, we will finish up in Acts, and we're going to do 10 weeks through the Ten Commandments, and I'm already very excited about... Uh, that, and then uh, I'm not 100% sure, but we may kick off next year with 10 weeks through the Beatitudes. So uh, we may look at uh, 10 10 laws in the Old Testament and in the way that Jesus in some ways reinterprets those and reapplies those in the New Testament as we move forward. But Acts chapter 18, I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with us in honor of God's Word, and we're going to read Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. Hear now, for this is the Word of the Lord. After this... Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers. Ah. Here we go. Then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Sincre, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them he said I will return to you if God wills and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea he went up and greeted the church and after then or excuse me and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there he departed and went from one place to the next throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia this strengthening all the disciples. Now we're going to focus most of our sermon on verses 24 through 28 here. Now a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this word. Thank you, Father God, that it never returns void. And as we consider it, Lord God, and we consider, God, whether or not we can use or should use or will use the things that you've given to us, the gifts that we have, Father God, help us answer that question of whether or not we can be next. Lord God, help us to step up, and do all that you'd have us to do to serve your church, your kingdom, and this community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, sometimes you learn about a hero that just doesn't really fit the hero profile. Maybe he's not exactly what you would expect. In July of 2015 in Sussex, England, a little one-year-old girl was accidentally locked inside of a Volkswagen Beetle. Now, because it's... Senior Adult Sunday, we're going to pick on her. It's a grandma that had unintentionally locked her granddaughter inside the car. You can imagine grandma is completely distraught. But uh, there she was. They called the police, and the police did what police do. They showed up at the grocery store parking lot. They knocked out the window of the car. And uh, the window they knocked out, if you're familiar with uh, a little Volkswagen, it's the back window, the little small one. And even though they knocked out the window and got a little bit of ventilation into the vehicle, what they also did was they didn't create a hole big enough for a police officer to fit through. And so there they were, a little baby in the car, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to get this kid out. But the, the window has been broken, it's too small. And about that time, uh, a family, last name Ahmed, is walking by, and a little Zavi Ahmed was with them, and Zavi Ahmed sees this situation and five-year-old Zavi volunteers to go through the window for the police officers and to get the keys out of the car and ultimately to rescue this little baby from what must have been certain peril at this point, right? Now, it's a great story and it's a reminder to us that sometimes we need help. That even we call the people that are supposed to be the ones to do it all. Even the people who help us sometimes need help. The story gets a little bit better because Zavi was a little kid that enjoyed dressing up. And it just so happened that on that day, on his trip to the grocery store, he dressed up as Batman. So five-year-old Batman climbed in through the window and saved the day. Much of our recent study of the book of Acts has focused on the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And it's right for us to focus on Paul. For goodness sakes, the, the, the book of Acts focuses much of its attention on Paul. Paul is arguably the greatest missionary the church ever knew. Paul is the greatest theologian the church has ever known. Jesus Christ laid the foundation for the church. He said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But ultimately, Jesus used Paul to explode the church from its Jewish context into the Gentile world. And he used Paul to spread the church. And to give us the writings that would help us to know exactly what God would have us to be as the church. But the church wasn't Paul, and Paul himself wasn't the whole church. The church was larger than Paul then, and it's larger today than any one person. See, you're not Paul, and I'm not Paul, but you're also not Pastor Craig, and you're not Miss Rhonda in the back working with our children. Some of you said, I'm not Craig, and I'm so thankful. I get it. Fine. Whatever. Work with me. Play with the illustration. Here's the reality. You're not the guy standing up here today, and you're not maybe the person back there leading. Maybe you're not a life group leader. Maybe you're not leading in any particular way right now. I want you to know that regardless of where you are, you have a ministry and you need to use what you have because the church is so much bigger than any one person. And it's in that context that we pick up in this passage of scripture today. So what we have is Paul has left Corinth, he goes to Ephesus, things go pretty well. They say, hang out with us for a while. Paul says, I can't, I got places to go. So the rest really of 18 through 24 is the story of Paul kind of hitting Ephesus and then bouncing around on his way to Antioch. That's that's the biggest thing you need to know. He takes uh, Priscilla and Aquila with him, they go uh, all these different places. And Paul finally leaves them in Ephesus and Paul heads on home for a little while. So, the people in Ephesus have heard the gospel and they're anxious for Paul to stay and preach or teach and preach to them. But Paul leaves. And what's amazing is that God's always got a plan. Remember, just a few weeks ago, we saw how Paul wanted to go to Asia. God said, No, you got to get on to Europe. And when Paul got to Europe, Asia was waiting for him. You remember that? Lydia was there. Asia was waiting on him when he got there. What's interesting is in this particular situation, Paul leaves. But God answers the prayer of Ephesus not by giving them Paul, but by sending them another teacher who will guide them in the things of the Lord. What an incredible incredible thing the Lord does for us in hearing our prayers and often answering them for us in ways that we couldn't have anticipated. This morning, though, we're going to turn our attention primarily to the ministry of a man named Apollos. Because Apollos, it turns out, was the next one up. Apollos has a powerful ministry in Ephesus. From there, he's going to have an incredible ministry in Corinth. As a matter of fact, his ministry in Corinth is so significant that when Paul writes to the Corinthians, one of the things that they're wrestling through there is that they're arguing about who they're going to follow. One of them says, I follow Paul. Some of them say, I follow Apollos. And Paul says, it really doesn't matter. Me and Apollos are on the same team. How about we agree that we can follow Jesus? This is who this man Apollos is. But Apollos really kind of comes from nowhere. We don't know a great deal about him. Matter of fact, the majority of what we know about him is wrapped up right here in these verses. We, we still see a few places. He's mentioned several times throughout the New Testament. He's with Paul in a couple of different scenarios. Matter of fact, when Paul writes back to the Corinthians, Apollos is with Paul in Ephesus. It's wild. They keep coming back to this place. So what do we know? Apollos was a Jew. He was a native of Alexandria, and he came to Ephesus. He was a great speaker. He's a wonderful leader, apparently. He's an educated man. But that's it. As a matter of fact, it's kind of wild. It's not just that we don't know much about Apollos. Apollos came from Alexandria. Alexandria in the 2nd century is going to rise as one of the great centers of Christian learning, Christian teaching, Christian training. But we're not entirely sure exactly how the gospel got there. We don't know what's going on in this region, in this city of Alexandria, really up until that time, other than the fact that apparently the gospel was being preached and men like Apollos are being sent out to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want you to consider whether or not you might be next. Maybe you are the next Apollos. Maybe. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're the next Priscilla or Aquila. We don't exactly know, but maybe you can at least just be the next Christian that God raises up from Malvern Hill to impact somebody in their life. Are you willing to use what God's given you to make an impact in the world around you? Four things I want to see this morning that I think jump out, or at least jumped out to me as I wrestled through this passage of Scripture. The first thing that I want you to do, if you're willing to be next, the first thing I want you to do is this. I want you to show your passion. I want you to be passionate about the things of the Lord, passionate about Jesus Christ. Man, you guys know what it's like to be passionate Y'all know what it's like to show excitement and joy? I don't have any problem getting you to do that at a movie or at a sporting event. But somehow or other, we sort of miss that when it comes to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, hey, tell me about Jesus. He's good. I'm good. You know? What's crazy to me, some of y'all, that's kind of your personality. You're talking about your favorite sports team. It's, like, it's good talk about, it's like a teenage boy. Y'all, y'all have teenage boys? It's like, how was your day? Fine. Oh, wonderful. Tell me how the rest of your day went. Well, it was fine. How was yesterday? It was fine. How was this day? It was fine. You get like two grunts and a, and a word, and that was excellent. It's different. Teenage girls, What are they? how was your day? And then you hang on because they're 45 minutes later. You just found out about the first three minutes of the day. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable the way that these things work. My point is, though, in saying that, some of you... Have passion about everything else in life, and yet when it comes to Jesus, you're kind of pouring water on that passion. I just want to make sure that you can at least have the same passion for Jesus that you have for your favorite hamburger, right? At least the same passion for Jesus that you have for your favorite sports team or your favorite movie franchise or your favorite book. Care what it is, I just want you to be passionate about Jesus. The Bible says about Apollos that he was a Jew, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. We're gonna come back to that. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. So let's use some Bible words. If as you show passion, I want you to first be fervent in spirit. Now there's there's two ways that these this phrase could be interpreted. As a matter of fact, a lot of you, in the footnotes in your Bible, it's going to have a, a little footnote down at the bottom. So it says that he, he was fervent in spirit or that he was fervent in the spirit. See, in, we don't talk much about Greek words because they're rarely necessary. But it's really helpful for us as we consider this um, for our purposes today. In the Greek, uh, which is the language that the New Testament was written in, the word for spirit is pneuma. It starts with a P. And one of those great words with a with a silent p at the beginning, so it's pneuma, if you will, p n e u m a, and and in, 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 that's why we, for the record, that's where we get like the words like pneumatic. You with me? Because that word pneuma can be used like wind or spirit in a very generic term. So it might be about the spirit within you, like I just excited, or it could also be used for the Holy Spirit. The problem is that in The New Testament Greek, we don't ever get it capitalized or anything like that. So we sort of have to wrestle through the translation and figure out exactly what it means. What that means is that when we come to this phrase with Apollos, it can mean that either that he was just excited and passionate or that he was filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. Or, you know what, I think it probably means both. I think it probably means both. When you think about somebody like Apollos, he was passionate and exciting. I know that because the Bible says that he was an eloquent, competent speaker. Have you ever sat in front of a good speaker that just had zero passion? No, they put you to sleep. Eloquent speakers have passion and joy and excitement. Romans chapter 12 verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. We need to to not be slothful in zeal. What's that mean? Don't be lazy in excitement. We need to sort of uncork our zeal and be fervent in our excitement towards the Lord. Be fervent in spirit. Apollos had something in him that others clung to and they wanted to follow. They wanted to listen to what he had to say. When he stood up, he commanded the audience. I want you to be passionate about Jesus. Do you know that if you'll find that passion, people will be interested in what you have to say. How many of y'all have ever tried to buy something from somebody who was a terrible salesperson? Terrible salespeople usually are completely unpassionate about the thing they're selling. Several years ago, I decided that when it comes to buying electronics, I'm going to focus on this one store. I've just about given up on trying to buy them online because you got 487 reviews, and I can't figure out what to read or what to do. But I walked into this one store a few years ago, and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm here to look at buying a wireless mesh system, which is just... I just needed to extend my home's Wi-Fi capability. I said, I need to buy one of these. And I had this kid, and I walked in, and y'all, it was like he got so excited because I walked in and just walked right into his happy place. He turned his hat around backwards. He got down low. He said, let's go. I'm excited. What can we do? And he lays out to me like 18 different options, and my eyes are going crossed. I have absolutely no idea. He's like, what gigahertz do you want? What color do you want it to be? What brand? And how, much you, how many security features do you need, sir? I said, brother, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. How many devices are you going to connect? I said, I I, I don't know. Well, this one limits out at 50. Will that be enough? I said, certainly, I hope so. (laughs) He said, well, me and my roommates, we have 87 different gaming devices in our house. It wasn't 87. It was probably 18. I'm not lying. Like, he started naming them off. And, like, my eyes went, I I, I said, what? Like, all that's in your house? You're not old enough to have afforded all that. Do you have a rich mom? I don't understand. But here was the thing. He was so excited and so passionate about something that for me was just a throwaway thing. And I thought, you know what? These are the kind of people I want to spend my money with. He was passionate about it, and he was informed. I went back not too long after, and I wanted needed to buy a television. And I said, hey, I'm interested in buying a TV. And this, this again, they're always younger than me anymore because I'm getting old. And this young kid, he's like, uh, what are you looking for? And I said, well, you know, I need a good TV. I don't necessarily need the best TV you have in the world, but I need a good TV. I want to be able to watch football, and I want it to look like I'm there. And it's going to be 65 inches. And it can't be any bigger because that's the biggest will fit on my wall. And that's what I want exactly. He said, oh, here it is. This is the best we got. It's $2,500. And I was, oh. and so I, I And I, I was ready. You know, if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. Like, I'm here. You tell me what I need to do. And then he looked at me. I said, so that's the one you would put in your house? He said, absolutely not. I said, really? He said, absolutely not. He said, because you see this one right here? This one's just as good as that one. It just have the same numbers, and it costs half. And if you'll be patient, you can catch it on sale. I said, brother, you're the man. You're the man. I love this guy. Man, we, we, we get excited about passion. Man, I, I can hear somebody talk about things that I don't care a thing in the world about. When they're passionate about it, I would just clue in and listen. One of my favorite books on planet Earth is called The Professor and the Madman. Anybody ever read it? Raise your hand. Y'all are all losers. Um... Let me tell you what this book is about. It's about the history of the Oxford English Dictionary. Doesn't that sound horrible? It does until you read this book written by a man that's passionate about the story of the Oxford English Dictionary. And it just explodes off the page. Y'all think I'm lying. Mel Gibson did a movie about it because he was so impressed with it. You can watch the movie if you don't want to read the book. But we need to be passionate are we as passionate about Jesus as we are about these other things? Be fervent in spirit. But the Bible says that Apollos was fervent, But so maybe he was just passionate, but I think he was also filled with the spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, is uh, in, in verse uh, 18, I believe it is, is one of those passages of Scripture that we kind of monkey with sometimes. It says, do not be filled or drunk with wine, because that's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. A lot of people go to that and say, "Ah, oh, we shouldn't get drunk. Y'all, you know, that, that verse isn't about getting drunk. You shouldn't get drunk, but that's not what that verse is about. That verse is all about the Holy Spirit of God. What that verse is saying, hey, don't indulge in the things of the world when there's something better that God has. If you're going to be next up and making an impact in the world around you, you've got to be passionate about Jesus. But, folks, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we get filled up with the Holy Spirit of God when we consume a lot more of the things of the Lord and we push away a lot more of the things of the world. Now, let me explain something to you. Being filled with the Spirit takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of effort. Some of y'all think that you showed up on Sunday morning and you raised your hand during that one song and you felt something kind of flutter and you're like, i got all the Spirit I need. Right, But then you go home and you don't think about the Holy Spirit for the rest of the week. You know what you just got? You just got a flutter in your stomach. But you're not getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It takes time. Consistently spending time in the things of the Lord, around the people of the Lord, around the things of the Lord. Being in the church and in the Word. Show that passion and be passionate enough to dig in. To grow in it. So if you're going to be next and if you're willing... To be the kind of person that God can use in this community. Show passion. Second thing, I want you to live in the Word. Live in the Word. The Bible says that Apollos was competent in the Scriptures. Competent. I'm not sure the Bible says that about anybody else. Competent in the Scriptures. Let me tell you, if God God uses His Word to say something about you that He doesn't say about anybody else, we need to be paying attention to it. You understand? He was competent. He was also eloquent. He was well-spoken, and He was good with the Word of God. How can you get competent in the Word? You've got to live in it. Yesterday, I was at a state track meet. We had a couple of our students who were participating. um, Running is one of those things that uh, I'm not great at, just in case you didn't look at me and figure that out. Um, but running is one of those things that that blows my mind, especially people that run in high school or ran in high school, so cross-country runners, track athletes, a lot of times you'll see something similar to this in baseball players because they ran so much in high school and college they establish this baseline of running and and as a result of that they graduate and they move on about their life and some of them don't run again for five, six, maybe ten years but there's this wild thing that these people who spent so much time running in establishing this baseline, it takes them next to no time to get back close to those levels. It's like somebody hasn't run in 10 years, but they have a, a, a background in running, and the next thing you know, like a month later, they're out there running 8-minute miles, and you're like, "How? you've been sitting on the couch for 10 years, and yet you did this. There's something about the consistency early in life that creates a platform that you can get back to, Okay? When we think about living in God's Word, I want you to know that consistency is the key here. We've got to invest regular time in God's Word and just be consistent about it. You're going to find that over time, that consistent intake of God's Word is going to change you. Okay? It's going to change you. Do you know that if you read one chapter of the Bible every day, that you would finish through the entire Bible in just about three and a half years? Three and a half years. Now, obviously, you can read three or four chapters a day, and you can finish it in less than a year, and that'd be awesome. But if you can't do that, I want you to know that with one chapter a day, if you start right now, that before we get around to 2027, you've already read through the entire Bible. If you're a freshman in high school and you start right now one chapter a day, by the time, before you start college in the fall of your, of, you know, after you graduate, you can have made it through the entire Bible. That's what can happen. Guess what? If you live for another 30 years and you read one chapter of the Bible a day, you'll read the Bible through nearly 10 times before you die. Look, do you not think that if you read through God's Word that many times, it would have an impact in your life? Absolutely it would. Now, sure, you can read more. I hope that you will. Many of you follow a similar pattern that I do, and you read three or four chapters a day, and that's wonderful. Some of you read even more than that. But I want you to know that consistency is the key here. You're probably not going to see consistent growth if you spend one week reading 10 chapters a day and then you go three weeks without reading anything. You understand? We're going to grow a little bit at a time. There's a difference, though, between time spent and time invested. When you spend time reading God's Word, it's an investment. You know the difference between investment and expenditure? An investment, I invest in a house with the expectation that that house is going to appreciate in value. I invest in my retirement with the hope and prayer, right? That it's going to appreciate in value. That's an investment. When I, when I spend time in this Word, it's an investment because I can have an expectation that it's going to appreciate in value as it takes root in my life. That's different from just spending time, from just wasting time, Right? I spent some time this week looking at some videos online, and I saw one with a lady, and she was eating a salad. And she said, all right, I've eaten my one salad. I'll wake up tomorrow, and I'll be lost five pounds, right? Like, we all feel that way. I ate my salad. When do I lose the weight? Well, guess what I was doing? I was absolutely wasting time on that one. Absolutely no no value in the time I spent looking at those videos other than to give you a little story to go along with investment and time spent. But tell me this. Did it really add that much to your life to hear that? No. We need to invest our time in God's Word. Live in it. Watch it impact us and change us. We want to we know so much of God's Word that when we, cut, when we get cut, the Bible just kind of spills out. That you accidentally speak Bible to people. You find yourself talking and Bible words just kind of fall out. And you're like, wow, I just thee and thou that person because I just didn't know any better. Invest regular time. I also want you to grow with a group. Now, here at Malvern Hill, we talk a great deal about life groups. And life groups are super important, especially now that we've gone to services, even more important. Uh, you know, we, we, had, we had a group about this size in the early service. Um, what that means, though, is that y'all have got to come together in life groups so you see one another. You've got to come together in life groups to get the ministry that you need as well. But it's not just that. Within a group, you grow in your competency as you engage with others. When you sit down and you communicate back and forth about the value of God's Word, you're growing in your ability to do that with others. And y'all, if you ever desire to be able to speak the Word of God in the lives of people outside of the church, then you're going to hone those skills by speaking with those inside the church about the Word of God. Those are safer places. Grow with a group. Speak about it. Let me challenge you, though. Don't just be there. If you have an opportunity, if you go to lunch with somebody after church today... Use that opportunity to grow a little bit together about your competencies, competencies in the Word. It's not as hard as it might seem at my house. everybody's at my house knows the first question they're going to get asked when we get ready to eat lunch. How was the sermon? Right? You can start that easy. Now, I, I would ask you, don't, 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 don't run down the preacher. I'd appreciate it if you didn't. But how was the sermon? And it's brutal at my house because I've just preached two messages. I walk in hungry a little tired and my children are brutal i mean they give me a number and they give me zero grace in it you know i know right away did they think it was a good sermon or a bad sermon and they tell me numerically on a scale of one to ten and angela's sweet and kind and she usually adds two to whatever they say to make me feel better about myself you can start that way though you can sit down and say how was the sermon what was the best part about it how did it impact your life? And you have an opportunity to engage and to talk because in a group, we're growing in our biblical competency. So live in the Word. Uh, third this morning, be teachable. Now, Apollos was an amazing leader, apparently, and a great speaker and preacher. And yet, he finds himself in Ephesus and there are deficiencies in his understanding of Jesus. They said that he didn't know anything except, what, except the baptism of John. Now, that means he, he, he had to know more about Jesus than simply Jesus' baptism because Jesus' earthly ministry began there. And he certainly must have known something of the teachings of John who promised that after him was coming one, whose sandal he, wasn't, he was unworthy to untie, and who was going to baptize not with water but with the Holy Spirit. Now, what I believe that this teaches us is that Apollos probably knew Jesus' life, Jesus' resurrection... But he probably was not yet fully aware of the teachings of Jesus following the resurrection. Remember, Apollos came from Alexandria... The church really is based in Jerusalem at this point, And Jesus' ministry is coming out of that place. And so the disciples were living there. Those who would have seen Jesus in his post-resurrection appearances. Those people that were there at the ascension when Jesus said, Hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. He said, Hey, go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those people were in Jerusalem. Somehow or other, that story, the rest of it hadn't quite made it to where Apollos was in Alexandria. Now watch. He didn't have the whole story, but he had enough to be telling people about Jesus. So before we get to anything else, I want you to know this. If you know that Jesus Christ died and rose again, matter of fact, if you look on the back or inside your folder, your worship folder, 1 Corinthians 15, those memory verses, if you know that, you know enough to tell somebody about Jesus, okay? There's a lot more that you can learn, but Apollos didn't have the whole story, and he was still turning the world upside down with the good news about Jesus. So if you might be next, I want you to know that you have enough. But not just that, I want you to be teachable. You might have enough, but you can always know more. Listen, Christians are expected to be gentle and humble. Period. There's not like a clause there that if others do this, then... No, no, no. Christians are expected to be gentle and humble. Micah 6, 8, the buster just read earlier. I'm pointing over here like he was standing there, right? Right, That he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the weak. These are the people that Jesus is blessing over and over and over again. He's calling us to be that. Jesus describes himself as gentle and kind. Gentle and lowly, rather. Gentle and lowly. These are the words that Jesus uses to describe himself. We, if we are going to be leaders in Christ's church, if we're going to be leaders in the community around us in the name of Jesus, we have to be teachable. And being teachable means that we are expected to be gentle and humble. It's okay. It's great if you have wonderful theology. But you have a huge deficiency in your theology if it doesn't also drive you to be gentle and kind and humble. Jesus was the most theologically astute human that ever walked the face of God's green earth. And yet he was gentle, kind, lowly, humble, and meek. Jesus only reserved harsh words for the religious around him. It was towards the sinners that he was constantly calling, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Apollos was teachable. This would have been challenging for Apollos. Just think about this. Remember, he's an educated man, apparently pretty well-to-do because of the traveling that he's doing right here. He's an eloquent speaker. People want to hear what he has to say. And he shows up in Ephesus and he begins to teach about Jesus Christ. And suddenly these two tent makers say, whoa, 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 we need to talk to you. And it wasn't just two tent makers. There's something interesting about Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila are almost always referenced as Priscilla and Aquila. Except in occasions, well, it doesn't matter, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla is the woman, Aquila is the man. This is abnormal in the ancient world. This would not normally have happened. Scholars assume there are two possibilities for why this would have been the case. One would be that she came from a higher social standing. The other would be that she actually had a a higher standing within the church, that she was the one of the two that was a little more well-known and was making greater impact. What we know is that as Apollos is teaching, Priscilla and Aquila pull him to the side and they instruct him about the things that he does not know. Not only is he willing to be taught, Apollos is willing for a woman to teach him. There's humility here that this man of high standing says, teach me. And in the ancient world, that is backwards. Folks, we've got to have that kind of humility to recognize that there's somebody in the world that knows something that you don't know. To recognize that there's probably somebody in this church that knows something that you don't know. And it doesn't matter how high and mighty you think you've become, you've never gotten so far that there can't be some sweet old lady in the church that can grab you by the elbow and say, Brother, I need to tell you something because you've missed out here. We've got to be teachable. And we've got to hold our convictions with an open hand. Now, look, this isn't heresy. So let me just beware. Let me be careful. When, when I say hold your convictions with an open hand, so that you can, this is why I want us to always be able to be swayed towards God's truth. I want us to always be open to the fact that there's something in this word that I don't know or that I don't fully understand. In my personal situation, recently I've been swayed, and by recently, last years and, and, and really in, in recent months, I, I've been swayed to be a little bit less committed to sort of scientific and evidence-based apologetics through my recent engagements with C.S. Lewis and B.B. Warfield and, and Augustine. Right? Now, how did I engage with them? I didn't get to call them on the phone. I had to read their books. They're all dead. For the record, it's really safe to read dead people because they're never going to mess anything else up. We already know what they're going to say. But through my engagement with them, I've been reminded that science can't actually prove to me and evidence can't prove to me a whole lot of things that are in here because it's necessary that we we believe it in faith, right? We we believe in faith and so we got to run back to this word over and over and over again because this is the basis for everything that we are. Well, that means that some of my understanding of the way that I'm engaging with people around me has shifted as a result of my engagement with the Word and with some people who have thought through it in different ways, and they've taught me some things I wasn't thinking about or maybe taught me to appreciate it in a different way. What if I just opened up those books or I sat in any sermon I sat under or any lesson and I said, I'm not going to learn anything if it's not exactly what I already think is true. Folks, that's not humility at all. I like a definition of humility that I heard once. That humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not looking in the mirror and going, oh, I'm such a horrible human. Humility is just not thinking that much about yourself at all. Thinking about others all the time and considering that somebody in front of you might know more than you do. I know that's hard for some of us to believe. I battle with that, y'all. I have to constantly fight that in my own life. Humility also means, for somebody like Craig Thompson, and probably for some of you, humility means not always having to be the teacher. It means being willing to sit and not open my mouth occasionally and trust that God is going to speak through somebody else. And those can be hard things, but we've got to be teachable, humble. And then, fourth and finally this morning, we've got to stay connected. If you're next, if you're next up in the ministry at Malvern Hill, you're next up in the ministry to this community, maybe you're next up as the next pastor that God's going to raise up in this church and use in this church or send out of this church. I don't know. If that's where you are, you got to stay connected. Watch. The first step in your next step of ministry is to be faithful to your local church. The first step in your next step of ministry is to be faithful to your local church. If you don't... <laughs> this goes back to humility. You ready? If you don't need to be at church regularly, you don't deserve to get to serve the church. If you're too good to sweep the floor, or clean the toilet, you're not good enough to serve Christ's church. Your first step is to acknowledge your need for the church. The Bible says that... that You've got a policy. He's making a significant impact, but when it got time, the Bible says he was going to Achaia. Okay, now Achaia is a region where he's headed is to Corinth. The church there is the church at Corinth. And when he got ready to go to Corinth, the Bible says that the brothers sent a letter, and they sent a letter to the church there that said, "Hey, this guy's coming, and you can trust him." And the church that got it received the letter and said, hey, they said he's good. So we're going to continue to move back and forth. And we're going to keep the local church connected. And we're going to keep the people of the local church tied in. Folks, we've got to be closely tied to the local church. That's what we've got. New Testament Christians are closely tied to the local church. You say, Craig, why don't you just say they're members? Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. Why did not say they're members? Because some of you think that if you just join the church then you got plenty of fire in church. You got something you can put in the obituary when you die. You need to be a member of a local church, but you need to be closely tied to that local church, plugged into life groups. When I say closely tied, do you understand like on a leash? I put my dog on a leash so that he can't get very far. When I say closely tied, I mean that we're tied to that church. And the church sort of becomes the centerpiece of all lots of things that we do in our lives. And I'm constantly being pulled back and I'm constantly going back into that place where I'm being recharged, where I'm being energized. It's the place where I'm finding friends and relationships. It's the place where I'm being equipped for ministry. Paul's going to speak to the church as the body of Christ and how necessary it is that each body part leans upon the other. So as we think about this passage of Scripture... And we think about a policy and we think about how it applies in your life. You find yourself coming to an abrupt end to a relatively long sermon with this question, are you next? Will you be next? Because the question of will you be next is really a question of whether or not you'll do what for many of you already know you should be doing. See, that's one of the hard things about preaching sometimes is you're literally preaching to the choir occasionally and you're saying things that at least 80% of the people in the room already know they should be doing. And what I'm trying to do is beg and plead and urge you to do the things you know you should be doing. Like I say, be tied to a local church. You say, that makes good sense. But, you know, the weather's warming up. I might just have better opportunities. You know, I say spend time in God's Word and you say that seems like a good idea, but wow, Craig, that, that's a lot. I say be teachable and you say, well, I would be, but <laughs> turns out nobody else knows everything I know, so I just got to keep doing it. I say be passionate and you go, well, I don't want to be those Jesus freaks. Will you be Next. We start off with a story about a little boy in a Batman costume. He wasn't the guy they called to come and rescue a little girl from a car. He just happened to be the little guy in the right place at the right time when the people who were supposed to handle it just couldn't quite get it figured out. Some of you are the right people in the right places at the right time to reach people that I can't reach or who don't want to be reached by your life group leader or who don't want to be reached by a pastor. Some of you are the right people in the right place at the right time to reach people in your classrooms or in your place of work or around your dinner table. And if you're those people in those places at those times The question ultimately comes down to whether or not you're going to be passionate enough to share the good news of the Lord. Whether or not you're going to be committed enough to the Word to be able to share the Word. Whether or not you're going to be humble enough, teachable enough for them to desire to hear the Word from you. and Whether or not you're going to be closely connected enough to a local church to be able to take them with you. As the church in Ephesus prayed for teachers, God sent somebody other than Paul. I'm eager for the day when God raises up people here. Could it be that you would be next? As we've gathered this morning, for some of you, it may be the Lord's calling you to ministry. You say, you know what, I'm ready to be next, whatever that means. Maybe some of you, you're just the next one that God's going to save right here at Malvern Hill. And you say, Craig, I've heard all that. I don't fully understand what Jesus is or what he's done. But I know I need him. Some of you may need to just spend some time this morning in prayer. Repenting of the fact that you've not spent time invested in God's word and passionate about the things of the Lord. Whatever it is, as we sing, I invite you to come today. I want you to know that even if you haven't been that person, God is more than ready for you to be the next person. He's not interested in counting your past against you. He is ready that when you take that next step to give you a different kind of future. Pray with me this morning. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. So thankful, God, that we can spend time together studying your word, understanding your word, Lord God. God, as we've come and as we sing, pray, Father God, that you would help us to be more like you, Lord God, to move as you'd have us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this morning, y'all respond. Thank you for joining with us here online at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. We would love to get to know you better and to pray with you. If you would like to be contacted for prayer or to find out how to become a follower of Christ or maybe you just want to find out more about Malvern Hill, please fill out our connection card online at www.malvernhill.org connect. You can also go there to our website. You'll find a lot of information about our church. There's sermons, there's resources. There's other tools that can help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can even give to the work of ministry right there from our website. Thank you so much for being here with us. We hope that you can join us in person very soon. But until that time, I pray that God would bless you in this week as you seek to honor Him with your life. I hope to see you soon. Have a great week.